Hello and welcome to the Mechanics Institute Review Podcast. My name is Peter J. Coles and for this episode we are going to talk to writer Julia Bell about the republication of the Creative Writing Coursebook and maybe some other things too. Julia Bell is the Director of Creative Writing at uh, MA at Birkbeck University of London. She has published three novels, most recently The Dark Light. Her essays and short fiction have appeared in The White Review, Times Literary Supplement, and numerous anthologies. She divides her time between London and Berlin. Uh, the coursebook was first published in 2001. The Creative Writing Coursebook has been designed as a comprehensive guide for anyone to put pen to paper. Through essays and writing exercises, a cornucopia of writers from Kit Deval to Malcolm Bradbury show you how you can bring your writing to life. The book has become a staple of creative writing courses in many universities. Welcome, Julia. Hello, Peter. Um, so first you're going to do a reading from us from the course book, from your section, is that right? Yeah, I just thought I'd read a little bit about um, getting started. The book is divided into uh, three sections. Uh, gathering, shaping and finishing, and this is really from the very beginning, about getting into the groove, about starting. Write every day, even if it's only a letter. Now you've put pen to paper, you want to try to write something every day. Set yourself some achievable targets. Try to write that story you've always meant to write about, the woman with the orange hair who lives down the road, or that poem about your cat. Choose concrete subjects. Draw some word sketches of your living room, your backyard, the fish tank. Get into the habit of looking for the telling details and don't waste adjectives. When you qualify a noun, make it interesting, pertinent, unusual. You want to have words at your fingertips, so read like mad, everything and anything, dictionaries, cookery books, novels, poetry, biographies, textbooks, car manuals, football programmes, magazines. Write lists of words and keep them near you. If you get stuck, write 500 words using a new word in every sentence. Buy a notebook and a few good quality pens and take yourself out for the day. Go and sit in a cafe, get an extra large cup of coffee and write for a few hours. When I lived by the sea, I used to sit and write on the beach, right up against the end by the cliffs where no one could disturb me. With my writing class, one of the first exercises I asked them to do was go and sit in a cafe or a pub and write a few character sketches of the people they see around them. Good writing practice is about discipline. You want to be limbered up, supple, articulate, but this will only happen when you're locked into a groove. Thank you very much. When I read the book in the foreword, uh, the new foreword by Marina Warner, um, she writes that you and co-creator Paul, is it Margaret? Paul Mars. Mars. Yeah, Silent G. Silent G. What's the point of the G? <laughs> I don't know. I think it's actually Hungarian. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. Mars, yeah, Silent the G. Northeast. Okay. Mars, yeah. um, so, they were early to res- so you were early to respond to the unaccustomed enthusiasm to learn creative writing. So I wanted to know, in what way did you see this need in your students? And why did you feel like you wanted to do something about it? Well, when I started teaching many millions of years ago, no, in, sorry, in the 90s uh, at UEA, I was teaching undergraduate creative writing, there were no textbooks for the courses that we were teaching. There was nothing. I mean, there was a couple of, Dorothea Brand, I think, and there was a couple of, you know, we were basically using kind of any essays that we could get our hands on, but there was nothing that was sort of systematic and programmatic. And then we were asked to do a series for the BBC World Service called The Art of Writing, which was a series, a 10-week series of programmes 
um, which formed the basis of this book, really. So we sat down and we worked out what we needed to do, and it was based on our, on our course, on our undergraduate course. So taking everybody through from catalysts, beginnings, characterization, point of view, time management, all of the things that we would teach generally on a good creative writing course, all the foundation of good um, technical practice. So we did this uh, uh, series for the radio, and then on the back of that we put together a proposal to do a sort of bigger book, and then we proposed it to Macmillan, and then it happened. I mean, it took about uh, 18 months to put together, we asked lots of people to contribute different essays, um, and it's been a big bestseller. I think it was one of those things about being at the right time, in the right time, in the right place. Mm and having an idea that really was necessary, because there wasn't anything that was as now. There were loads of books that have a kind of, you know, the, the handbooks or course books or practical guides, how-tos, all the rest of it, but there really wasn't anything out there at the time, which is surprising to yeah. me. There really was a gap in the market. So uh, the people that you got to... So some essays are from people that are long dead, obviously, that are long Mark past. Dear old Mark <laughs> yeah. But you've got some people, contemporary writers as well. Yeah. How did you approach them to sort of get their... Well, Ali Smith was yeah. working at UEA on okay. a fellowship very, very early on in her career. Um, so obviously we knew her, so we asked her to contribute. I think her second book had just come out, Like had just come out when she got the fellowship at UEA, she was teaching. Mm. Um, so we just asked her to contribute a short essay. What I really like about this is that it isn't just me and Paul telling you what to do, that it's actually, we've got 44 authors and it's they're all telling you something slightly different from their own point of view about their writing practice. And some of the essays in here are absolute gold dust. I think I personally think that the Vicky Fever piece on her poem Judith is an absolute gift to anybody who wants to learn how to rewrite poetry. She went on to win prizes with that poem. But she takes apart her own practice. She shows you the first draft and then how she went about putting it back together again. Yeah, which is exceptionally important, isn't it, yeah. as a writer? And Just it's generous, too. It's mm. a sort of generosity from her desk. This is how she did it. Because mm. I think, as, as, uh, as myself, as a writer, to know the sort of tactics and sort of sneaky ways in which you can sort of overcome your inability to write or your inability to come up with a good sentence to find ways around that is super important isn't it and I think something like this can offer that. Yes I think so and I also think it's an acknowledgement that not everybody has there isn't a right way to do it there are sort of principles which we can discuss so mm. we can discuss the sort of principles around point of view because that is a very technical issue but every writer will have a different strategy for dealing with that or a different way of thinking about it. Mm. I think uh, I don't know if you're familiar with um, Flannery O'Connor and her essay about um, writing fiction. I absolutely love it. I'm just going to read you the beginning of this because it's very funny. Um, yes, I understand that this is a course called How the Writer Writes, and that each week you are exposed to a different writer who holds forth on the subject. The only parallel I can think of to this is having the zoo come to you, one animal at a time, and I suspect that what you hear one week from the giraffe is contradicted the next week by the baboon. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. I've always thought that was a sort of hilarious... Um, there isn't an orthodoxy, I suppose, is what I'm trying to say, yeah. and I think that this book is a reflection of that idea, that there might be a kind of structure, a framework, perhaps, within which you can have a conversation, but you're going to have... A, Lots of different approaches to the same so ideas. So, on that topic, uh, the other question, another question I had was that there is this everlasting question in writing: is can you teach creative writing? How do you answer that question as a creative writing teacher? Well, my answer is always that you can't teach 
boring people to be interesting. Okay. Then you can teach interesting people how to write well. Mm. And teaching them really is about, again, creating the space in which it's possible for them to write and then get feedback and to, and to sort of progressively think through what might be working and what might not be working. Mm. And a good creative writing course does not tell the, 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 the student what to write. It gives them the space to develop what they want to write. Mm. And I think that that would be my, always a, sort of the principle of my practice, is not to, to force a student to write against the grain. And I think that's one of the things I'm very proud of about the Birkbeck MA, is that we produce students who win the White Review Short Story Prize, which is you know, a very literary prize, and also then students who go on to publish genre thrillers and you know, do very well in mass market with mass market novels, and that we're not telling them what to write. We're not. We're giving them the tools to write the thing they want to write. Mm. Do you would you would not to spark controversy, but do you think some universities are still being prosaic in how they say so you need to write like this in order to be? I think there's successful. a sort of tendency sometimes to be a bit prescriptive, mm. or or perhaps just for teachers to always teach to their own bias. Mm. Whereas I'm kind of interested in everything. Yeah, I, 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 as a fellow, as a Burbank alumni, I felt like I was getting a broad swathe of ideas and concepts about how I should be writing, and then I could distill it into my own sad and depressing literary fiction that I'm writing. At the moment. Yeah, but it was meant to reflect back at you what your voice yeah. might sound like. Yeah, no, I definitely felt that. I, uh, for me, the biggest thing was that it was about realizing that I had a story to tell, but maybe that story was one I was too afraid to tell. Yeah. And then being given the space to be like, okay, you can tell this story. No one's going to judge you. It's all going to be okay. You know, no one's going to think badly of you write this story. And so I think that was like a massive turning point for me in my writing to be, yeah, to be given that space in order to write the story that I felt like I was too afraid to write. Yeah, I think that's quite a common problem anyway, is that kind of, double-edged sword of encouraging a certain kind of self-consciousness in the writer, mm. so expecting that you're going to read your stuff and sort of think about why, what, how you can make it better without making that freeze you up and stop you from writing altogether. Did you suffer from this when you first started writing? Definitely. Yeah? yeah. I think the, the, the what, were you, what were you trying to write and then... <coughs> I know what you've I think it's ended. just about having an enormous amount of self-consciousness about what you're producing and the internal critic becomes a sort of chorus of anonymous authorities telling you how, that you don't have the right to say these things because so many other people out there saying these things or you might get judged by mm. whoever, whoever. And it's all in your head, really. And I also think that maybe now, in the days of social media, where suddenly you can respond and you can write much more quickly, you can be read much more quickly, Maybe that's changed a little bit. I don't know. I think that there's a, there's a double-edged sword to that. It's made people more self-conscious, but it's also made people freer to a certain extent. Yeah, so uh, that was a sort of bonus question. You mentioned uh, in the in the, in the new introduction and uh, about this concept of the digital mm. and how the digital is affecting creative writing. Do you think it's been a positive? Has it, has it had a positive impact or is it something no, else? No, I have very mixed feelings about it. Yeah. Um, I think we are being invited to perform our readings of literature now rather than mm. just sit in silence and read a book. We're expected to read a book and then blog about it or tweet about it and mm. talk about it and, hey, look at me sitting in a cafe reading a book or hashtag am writing, which mm. is a sort of another way of indicating, sort of virtue signaling for writers, mm. if you like. But on the other hand, I think that it's liberated people. I think it's allowed 
there to be an enormous diversity of voices, which there wasn't before. The gatekeepers are no longer just um, in the newspapers and in the broadsheet papers. And there was, in the 90s, a very, very small group of people who controlled what people read and saw and what got out there, in a way. Uh, and I think that that really has changed. I think blogs, podcasts, websites, individuals, social media has liberated people to speak. So, and everybody's writing. I forget the statistic, but it's ridiculous the amount of words that are being written every day on the internet. I, 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 I do get that feeling of like the democratization of writing. That mm. it's, but now everyone has a voice and everyone can be heard if they want to be heard. I do myself worry that sometimes the loudest people get to be heard the first, or the most controversial. Well, I would agree with that. I think that's, that's a problem with the platforms, because I think the platforms prioritise, the algorithms prioritise things which generate either controversy, which generate, you know, they're feedback loops. Mm. And I think that in itself can be problematic, because it means that perhaps the more thoughtful and quiet voices don't get heard. Um, but I do think it's... I found it liberating, although I, I have an issue with the way it's become commercialised, mm. so but that's another story. So I know recently that you uh, took some time off from social media, didn't you, mm. for your writing. Mm. Did that help? Did yes. it help the writing? It did. It helped my reading. Yeah. I spent a lot more time reading, and I also felt I had much less anxiety. I'm in the middle of a massive mm. sort of crisis, which I think has been partly precipitated by network technology, mm. unfortunately. I think that the problem is that people have become ghettoized into their networks and there seem to be sort of four or five very clear networks of thought around society and how it should function, rather than there being nation states. It's pulling the nation state out of shape and it's mm. pulling politics out of shape. It's rearranging the social contract and I don't think it's doing it in, in our favour. And I felt very much that when I wasn't on social media, I felt free of that sort of constant surveillance, the self-surveillance of having to present myself on social media, the curation of the self. I felt I could actually get much closer to the page. Me and words were much more honest. You know, there's a, it's a really, really massive problem. I'm writing mm. my new project to, to write something about this. I'm really in the middle of trying to think about it or make some sense of it for myself. Do you want to talk about the project? Or uh, well, yeah. Keep I mean, it on the so down. It's coming out next year, and it's a small little short book for Peninsula Press called Radical Attention, which comes from some of the writing exercises and workshops that I did, actually the one you came to in Berlin, mm. um, and taking some ideas from Simon Weil about attention and how we pay attention or give attention to the subject or the object of our, what we're looking at and how we look, and maybe trying to take away the veil of technology so mm. that you can actually look as a human body mm. at the world. I think there's and something interesting about that. And that sort of Benjamin aura, the aura, that yes. getting back to, try and get back to what it what Yeah, it not being mediated. Mm. Everything's mediated. The platforms mediate us all the time. And they pretend that they're just a mirror, but they're not. They're, they're actually a, a form of conditioning. So we stop thinking about a beautiful view as a beautiful view, it becomes framed by the idea of an Instagram of an Instagram moment. And we stop thinking about having an opinion, we rather think about it as a Twitter, a great tweet. So in a way, I think the social media particularly is curating us rather than us curating it. Mm. And it's for commerce, so it doesn't necessarily have social our society's best interests. It's not for the human, it's for the, it's for the finance. Mm. Just to sort of come away from that 
Um, I also wanted to talk about the, going back to the course book. The purpose of the course book, it seems, was to uh, bring creative writing to a wider audience and get it out of universities. Why did you feel like that was something necessary that you wanted to take on, you wanted to do? Actually, I think it was almost the reverse of that. It was like um, we needed to take it out of because there was always a suspicion at that time that creative writing was somehow Mickey Mouse subject and not something serious and that literature was serious. Um, and, that, and as a result of that, there wasn't any course books. There was nothing that we could give the students that was like, okay, this is your primer. You know, if I was going to do a course on uh, critical theory, I could quite easily find several mm. Routledge books, introductions to critical thinking or whatever. So it would give me a, a, a really good overview of the topic. And there wasn't anything like this in the institution. And we wanted to do something that was both institutional but outward looking. So it was for our students, but also something that somebody who perhaps couldn't afford to do a course, didn't want to do a course, could work through the subject themselves in their own time. So that it had that sort of rigour of coming from the desk of a practising writer, but at the same time offering something both to university students and to individuals. Mm. Do you think it's good for a complete beginner? Yes, it's yeah. what it's aimed at. Same, really. same. I, mean, I think this is a brilliant BA primer, and it's also something that um, I think anybody, if you get stuck or that you're into exercises all the way through, and some really interesting stuff about writing and landscape, writing science, um, some new some of the new pieces in it from Kit Duell on Flash Fiction or Performance Poetry by Keith. There's really sort of great additions to what was in there originally. So I feel like we've added to what the knowledge that was there with some really relevant updates. Mm, that's very good. Yeah. I've enjoyed reading it. Okay. <laughs> I've enjoyed reading it. Just for just when I get stuck, I just sort of flick to one of the chapters and just think, okay, this this is one way I get through this problem that I have in my writing or whatever at the moment. So, yeah, that was its good. intention, really. And it's one of those funny things with a book like this where, I don't know, somebody once said to me, the rules of success were first, best, or different, and I think this was first. Mm. Well, it's good. <laughs> it's good to be first. Yeah. It's very, very good. Um, so, coming towards the end already, which is quite amazing, um, we always do a reading recommendations mm-hmm. at the end, and I was wondering... Two questions. What are you currently reading and what would you always recommend? I'm reading a book, well, a proof, actually, of a book called Square Hauntings by Francesca Wade. It's her first book and it's sort of literary biography and it's absolutely fantastic. It's like sitting in a warm bath. It's absolutely what I need right now. So it's a literary history of the women of Bloomsbury in the interwar period. So she's looking at Virginia Woolf and HD and... Dorothy say so people who lived in Bloomsbury at that time. Where we are um, now. Where we are right now, yeah. So it's where I work, it's it's a familiar territory, it's also fantastically feminist. I'm really enjoying it. It's coming out with favour, I don't know when soon. Um, and she's done a great job and it's full of story. It's one of those great biographies where she's done absolutely tons of research, so it's just full of information and I'm underlining things all the way through. I'm really enjoying that. Mm-hmm. And what, so what would you always recommend? Oh God, what question. <laughs> I was thinking it's not your favourite book, it's just what would you always recommend? Well, I, I don't think... know, I mean, I've got so many things to who, depends who I'm talking All right, about. to the new writer who has picked up that book, wants to be a writer, they don't know what to write. Well, obviously, they don't know how to write. They don't know how to write. Well, I, would, I would always try to go read Flannery O'Connor um, in Mystery and Manners, although the whole book of essays might not be that relevant, it's just the two, the one, the nature and aim of fiction and writing short stories are so clear on what fiction actually is. And her idea, which is absolutely where I come from, is that you're creating an experience for the reader. Art is not an essay. It's not a um, 
It's not. It's it's not ordered argument. The argument is in the action and in the character and in the landscape and in the description and in the lyric and in the poetic. It's not in the um, the logic of an argument. You can do that in an essay. She said she says in, in in one of these pieces. If I was going to tell you what my short story was about, I would write an essay, not a short story. Mm. And I think it's quite easy to forget because. People come to literature through, quite often through having been taught it at school, so having to interpret what it means. It's actually the meaning is is the doing, it's the creation of it, and mm. it's experiential. Mm. And I think quite often that's the moment of light bulb you can see it in the classroom. People are like, oh, okay, I don't have to know what I'm doing before I sit down to do it. I mm. can just go with this idea. Or I'm not doing this to be in Waterstones in, in Gatwick or something. Exactly. Yeah. But the, and, and they're actually investing in the characters and in, in the journey of the story and the, the fun of it is the experience for the writer. It shouldn't be... It's, it's not logic. It's not that, in that sense. Do you know what I mean? Mm. It's, it's, it's not a science. It's an art. Mm. Yeah. Great. So that would be why I would always recommend. Good. Okay. Well, thank you very much. Thank you for talking to me today. And uh, yeah, uh, I'll, I'll write in the description below where you can get the course book and everything. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you to Julia Bell for taking part in this podcast. And thank you for listening. If you like what we do here at Mirror Online and you'd like to support us, why not check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash mirroronline, where we have a ton of rewards aimed at supporting new writers. You can follow us on Twitter at MiraOnlineBBK and hear previous episodes of the podcast wherever you listen to them.